Hey everyone, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is number 350, being recorded on May 20th, 2015. I'm Alan Valentano. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. It's pronounced tree fitty, and I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Sebastian, and I like computers. <laughs> I'm just a white boy, what do I know? All right. Um, so, uh, welcome everyone. Uh, let's see. I'll just pimp the uh, spam list right off the bat. Why not? Ken, you got this thing working over here? Yep. Okay, so... If you go to pcper.com slash subscribe and you submit your name and an email address to us, we send an email whenever we're about to start a live stream, like this one right now, for example. I think Ken sent the email mm-hmm. for this one. Yes, good. We're good to go. Wrong lever, Ken. Yeah, wrong lever. <laughs> <laughs> Hands off of the lever. <laughs> So uh, we use this list only for that purpose, just to let people know about live streams that are, that are about to happen. Uh, I think sometime, for some special ones, we might give you a little bit more of a heads up if it's a uh, non-scheduled or non-typical scheduled one. Uh, let's see, what else do we got here? Oh, yeah, the contest. Uh, Ken is busy, or I would have him grab the boxes. But we have a nice little stack of uh, Intel... SSD 750s. 400 gig type. Yeah. Suitable for fast storage and possibly booting. Uh, well, it's, it's, it does... Okay, so I'll just clear this up right now. There was a tested video talking about NVMe booting and stuff. And no, it doesn't take two days to figure it out. You just have to <laughs> use Rufus to make the USB key that has the Windows installer on it in UEFI mode, and then as long as your motherboard supports the UEFI boot to an NVMe device, you're good to go. Simple as that. Um, Oh yeah, and once you've uh, installed everything, make sure you install the Intel driver for the SSD 750 so you get more than one gig per second throughput. Anyway, now that I've entered about that, we can get that out of the way. So uh, this contest is running. Ryan's using this pretty cool new uh, system for contest submissions that lets you not only like you kind of give yourself an advantage right like you can follow us on twitter you can visit our facebook page like for everything every one of those things you do you're like adding another entry for yourself right and you can even come back every day and give yourself even another entry if you just come back to the page so um that's pretty cool right you could it potentially would be if we could win uh, well, it's, it's not cool for any of you guys, but, you know, it's cool for all of our other readers out there that probably want one of these things to put in their machine. Uh, all right, so we're done with that one. Week in review. Might as well just jump right into it, huh? First up is a monitor review that I did. That's kind of weird since I'm the storage editor, but there you go. Acer XP270HU. This is basically an ROG Swift with an IPS panel in a less attractive frame, I guess, is the simple way to put it. It's 27 inch, um, 2560 by 1440 display. It's able to go 144 hertz, and it's an IPS panel. Uh, IPS 
is kind of the key there because this would be the first IPS display in a G-Sync monitor that we have looked at or that's even launched for, by anybody for that matter. Um, pretty, uh, I thought pretty, there were more that uh, were only went to like you know 40 to 75. No, those or are those not launched yet. Those are not well. Either they're not launched or they are not G-Sync. They are FreeSync. Right? Remember that? There, sure. There was that. There oh was yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, so this is the first G-Sync. Um, that's an IPS display. Looks pretty darn good. Um, I didn't really notice the additional latency just by eyeballing it. Obviously, we don't we don't necessarily do the super super in depth tests that uh, TFT Central and and those and guys like those blurbusters do. But um, you know the 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 Swift has like a one millisecond grade grade response time. This panel is rated at a four millisecond grade grade response time. Um, that said. It's still very fast. Four milliseconds is still uh, a much, you know, it's it's lower than seven milliseconds, which is the refresh rate. Like seven milliseconds is how long it takes for for 144 hertz frames to be redrawn, basically. Um, so, you know, it's pretty darn good. Uh, no noticeable ghosting. Um, none of those issues. Like we, we've pointed out some issues in the past with the, the first round of free sync panels had some issues with uh, overdrive, basically just not working when you were in a variable refresh rate mode. Um, none of those issues apply with this panel. So that's fortunate. Um, Ryan and I recorded a short video on it. Uh, just kind of running through some of the tech there. And, um, Let's see. Take a look at viewing angles real fast. Since it's IPS, there's a pretty big difference between... Uh, actually, this is pretty funny. If you look at the picture, if you're watching the video version of the podcast, uh, the difference between a Swift and this Asus Predator panel, even when viewed head-on, you can tell a difference. Right? I've got the Swift at the top there and the Predator at the bottom. dark bar at the top. Uh, say again? I said, look at that dark bar at the top of the, the Swift. Well, it's like if you just look at these, if, yeah. if you look at the text on that page, it's just it's changing from one style, you know, inverted one way to another way because you're not looking at the display head on except for like in the center, right? Um, it was harder to show this in pictures, but if you have something like an orange background on the Swift, it actually kind of changes color as you look at it from top to bottom of the display. Um, you don't get any of those art- those types of artifacts on this Acer Predator, obviously, because it's an IPS type panel. I have to be careful. It's not actually IPS. It's what, right? PLS or something like that? Uh, I think it's a, a variant of PLS. There's like an extra letter in there. Either way, it's they were able to use the... I, I think, I'm guessing whatever that technology is, it must be licensed. LG has a trademark on IPS. Right. But it actually says like IPS on the box, I think, mm. for the monitor. So I'm guessing that they have licensed it or did something. Anyway, um, all the features work as expected. No real surprises. Again, basically, uh, if, you, if you've had hands-on with an ROG Swift, this is essentially the same thing, except for none of those funky effects when you're looking at the display off-angle. You know, it's basically the benefits of an IPS panel and all of the other benefits you got with you know, a high-end G-Sync panel, all rolled into one. 
Um, my real beef with it is that the display or the the bezel is kind of Fisher pricey. I guess is really the only way that uh that I can explain that. Is it better than the Qnix Korean monitor? It might be the. I'd probably say it's the same. Ouch! It, it's well because it's it can't really get any worse than that, right? It's just this really reflective, high-gloss plastic finish on the front and the inside edge and the outside edge of just the, you know, the part of the bezel facing you, probably about the, the forward, um, say, maybe three-sixteenths of an inch worth of it. Mm, which shiny. Is, yeah, which is odd because the, the rear of the panel is this textured plastic finish very similar to the ROG Swift. They just didn't carry it around to the front, which... You know, just kind of would have made sense. I mean, I get that it makes it maybe look a little more shiny or maybe somebody thought that looked more expensive to do that kind of finish. But, um, and, and it's, they, they put that same really high gloss plastic finish on the, the top of the, the base of the pedestal, like the pedestal of the display. And like just from the corner touching the, that base as we were doing the rotating a couple of times and just from trying to wipe dust off of it, it is visibly scratched. Like it's that, you know, that shiny of a plastic finish that's easily marred. So kind of, you know, I will not take this record. It is scratched. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's really the only downside. Um, but like I said in the review, you know, where the rubber meets the road, the actual performance of the glass itself um, all of that was awesome in our opinion. Um, so, Ken, can I ask Ken a personal question about this? Absolutely. Where did the rundown bar go? It is crashing, and the and the streaming application <laughs> is throwing fatal errors. So, I'm just going to do without it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, just throw your shoe at it. Call yeah. It good. This is the night that everything has apparently. Blown yeah. Um, there were a couple of issues that I thought I would kind of bring out that uh. Even sites like TFT Central and uh, and other sites were not pointing out on some of the other display reviews for some reason. Maybe they just didn't notice it. Um, there's kind of an odd pixel dot or pixel dot inversion artifact with these, um, and it happens with a lot of panels. Actually, it happens with like the BenQ FreeSync panel. Um, like I think every single 1440p panel that we plugged in in the office. I think it was like four or five different panels, and they all did this. If you have a certain kind of pattern on the screen, and you make that pattern wide enough, as you make it wider, uh, it, what's supposed to be a gray kind of a background image, uh, it turns green. It's kind of weird. It's like the Hulk. I don't know. We have a couple of pictures of it in the review. Actually, I can switch over to me. If it'll let you. Yeah, so, you know... It's kind of a weird effect. Like, everything here is supposed to be just a solid gray, like on the bottom. Um, but that only happens with a very specific pattern, which I haven't really noticed anywhere outside of that one specific test. So I wouldn't be too concerned about that. But I will say that the Swift and this Acer panel both exhibit that artifact, as does, like, the FreeSync 1440p panels that we've tested as well. Um, and then another issue I noticed that, actually, the Swift does, and so does the BenQ, uh, the BenQ FreeSync panel is when a like a brand new frame shows up that has to do like a high contrast change from the last frame. In other words, you're drawing something white over what was previously a black background, or vice versa. Um, 
there's kind of this rainbow artifact that shows up. Um, and it's Whoa. not, yeah, it's not alternating. <laughs> it's not a double it's rainbow. It's only a single rainbow. It's only a single yeah. rainbow. Well, actually, that's probably like 20 rainbows. Um, Ooh. Yeah. Uh, but basically, just like as the next, that next frame is being drawn, the very, the very first time that that frame is scanned out, um, every other bar, every other um, column of the same color is brighter. So you'll have like a like a kind of a low intensity red and then a high intensity red for the next you know three pixel sub pixel rows over right, and the effect is just this kind of rainbow effect. Um, happens a lot in like driving games if you're looking at the like the side of a wheel as the wheel's spinning quickly. So you have like a black background and then the, the wheel was like white or silver, like it'll look kind of rainbowy as it's being drawn from that you know low contrast or dark to bright and back. Anyway, um, we did not see that effect on this display. So if that was something that bothered you uh, with those displays, they either have fixed it by some kind of an update to the TCON that's in the display or some kind of just maybe by the virtue of it's an IPS-type display and maybe that just doesn't do it compared to uh, the TN panels. Not sure. Either way, that's that was fixed. Uh, so good news there. So really, uh, you know, pretty decent panel. Uh, Josh had a coupon code way back when it was first launching. There was like 10% off pre-orders. I don't know if anybody got in on that one. Um, I didn't. I was I was unemployed and dirt broke. Well, it was interesting to see 10% off or any kind of deal on like this type of a launch, right? Um, especially considering like the Swift was sold out and overpriced by several hundred dollars like for months and uh this one they did like the opposite and they've seemed to have been kind of keeping it in stock at places um so you know interesting either way let's move on unless there's any questions about this guy anybody g-sync worked fine later drivers did anything to it fun and games I mean, nothing. Nothing really changed as far as the experience goes. Uh, the, the only real difference is just the colors are more accurate and don't shift as you change your viewing angle. But outside of that, it's identical to uh, you know any other 1440p, 144 hertz G-Sync gaming experience. Nice. Yeah. Um. So really, I mean, if you already have a Swift, the only reason that you'd want to upgrade is if you just really can't stand like the the differences like the, the tn panel kind of properties right in other words if you're using it for not only gaming but a lot of desktop like uh kind of you know writing doing um publication photo editing work, photo video editing, editing especially photo editing right where you're worried about color accuracy um yeah that would be uh, a reason to go for this one over a swift all right, next up. Uh, what makes a mobile GPU tick? Well, what does? Well, you got two guys that were doing the interview, and one of them's here. The other guy is <clears throat> taking yet another vacation. Hmm. I don't. I don't know anybody else who takes as many vacations as Ryan. He's got a. Uh, this might be like his last one before the baby. The baby. 
So, um... You act like the baby is going to stop him. Uh, no. it's going to slow him down. They just you wait. Have a thing scheduled in December. It's it's going to slow him down. <laughs> it's going to slow him down. I'm telling you, it's, we'll, uh, we'll we'll wait. We'll just watch as it, as it happens. Anyway, so anyway, uh, you know, Brian and I interviewed Jem Davies for about an hour. So we had a video on the entire thing, and we talked about Molly Graphics. So Jem uh, is. Uh, one of the longtime employees of ARM before they're even known as ARM. It was like Aero Research Mechanics, something like that. But you mean uh, Acorn? Acorn. Yes. Aero. <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> so many things in my head, there's not enough room. But anyway, Jem is uh, one of the older uh, employees there, as in, like, he's been employed there for ages. Uh, really good guy, really funny. He's got a great sense of humor. If you watch that in the video, you'll have some sensible chuckles throughout the entire thing. But uh, he was essentially charged some years back uh, with buying a GPU company. He knew nothing about it. He dove into it. They ended up uh, acquiring a group out of Norway, I believe out of Trondheim. And uh, at that point, it was about 26 people trying to work on some low-power graphics, got them bought up, and, and they formed the basis of the Molly Group in ARM. And that's grown to something like 500 employees, uh, well, and engineers and, and production people. And they're producing, you know, some of the more competitive mobile graphics for these architectures, the ARM architectures uh, that will be going into cell phones, tablets. Uh, we covered many, many subjects. You should take the time, take the hour, watch it. It's, uh, it's quite good. But uh, you know, the thing you have to remember right off the bat is that we're talking about GPUs on the desktop that go anywhere from 150 watts, well, 75 watts, 150 watts, 225 watts, and at the high end, around 300 watts for certain AMD parts. But they deal in the milliwatts. So 500 to 750 milliwatts, which would be going just to the GPU. And it has to run 3D applications at a good enough pace to be able to paint enough pixels on, you know, modern uh, uh, screen resolutions of, of cell phones and tablets that, you know, are 2560 by 1440. So uh, he, he talked about all kinds of stuff. Uh, we talked about process technology. We we talked about design flows. We we talked about low power. How how they're able to, you know, uh, leverage some uh, tile-based deferred rendering characteristics and techniques in, in what they're doing. You know how you render only what is going to be seen through your viewpoint on screen. Lot to it. Memory technologies, bandwidth, how they get around this stuff. Uh, he's got some great answers. Really, really smart, knowledgeable guy. Knows his business, and uh, you should take the time and go and watch the video. It's it's amusing. There's some good talk, couple of jokes, and a lot of really good tech information that uh, is contained within. So go check it out, Jim Davies with Arm, and Ryan and myself. All right, cool. Uh, next up is uh, Asus ROG Gladius Optical Math Gaming Mouse review, which Sebastian took a look at. I did. It's a premium mouse. This is a seventy dollars mouse. I found it at a couple of places for sixty nine bucks. 
it's really well made, had a good feel to it. And if you look at the review, you'll see that it's got some really impressive specs. It has a really high uh, DPI, high acceleration. It's it's customizable in the software, all the way up to sixty four hundred. Um, so and I I didn't use it at that speed. It was it was kind of funny though. I set everything up to the highest setting in software, and then I just kind of tapped the edge of the mouse, and I saw my pointer go flying all the way to the other side of the screen. <laughs> So it it can get ridiculously fast if you want it to. It seemed really accurate. What I liked the best about it was it has these, uh, I think it's pronounced Omron. They're these Japanese switches. Okay. Um, So the left and right mouse button have socketed switches that you can actually remove and replace. It comes with an extra pair, and it comes with an extra set of four feet for the bottom of the mouse. Because you have to peel the feet off to get the bottom off and replace the switches. Interesting. if they ever wear out. So you get basically double the life out of this thing, in theory. Oh, probably more than double, because if it comes with two switches, can you use, like, usually the left one goes out. Right? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, they're identical switches. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you could, you know, basically go through two more two more left, uh, left buttons. Yeah, but the buttons had a really good feel to them. It was kind of like the mouse equivalent of a mechanical keyboard. Where you had, and maybe like a cherry, not like a cherry blue, it it was really uh, similar to the cherry brown, I thought. Where you have a noticeable kind of click, almost like a a slight uh, thunk sound as you push it down. It It was kind of harder to push down than a standard mouse at first, but I got used to it, and it was... It was really nice. Like, I had it sitting next to a mechanical keyboard, testing it out, and the two kind of felt right together. I think that's why... Asus kind of sent this together as a set, and I just hadn't gotten around to the mouse review yet. So, so. Not, not only do they give you two, but that looks like a standard part, complete with part number on the side. So, I mean, you could just order them, yeah. I'm sure. And the the, the other part that was kind so of... So that, that means that, what? D2F, death to Finland? No. Yes, that is what it means. Okay, it was in the reviewer's guide. Um, but yeah, it looks like uh, it looks like with those types of switches, you would actually get like a few millimeters of movement out of the button, as opposed to it just being like a flat thing that just kind of clicks as soon as you put some pressure on it. Yeah, right. There's there's some travel to it when you click it down. Yeah, and I I really like the way it felt, and that there's no uh, attached cable. It's a wired mouse. It does not have any wireless function at all. But it came with two different USB cables. One okay. of them was like a nice braided cable that was thicker. The other one was like a rubber, thinner, more pliable cable. So that was like great for like throwing in your bag. It came with a little velvet bag to like transport the mouse around with. But really premium feel. It felt kind of. It felt like it was worth the price. I've I've seen other mice at around the sixty to seventy dollar range, but I haven't felt any that have like this really solid clicking. Feeling it was like a mechanical feeling with those switches, so it was really cool. Yeah, between those two cables and that mesh bag that it comes with there, um, that looks almost like it's designed to be a desktop mouse that is also, you know, easily used for travel, basically. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not wireless, but you know, hey, at least you got the extra cable that looks like it's more suited for travel, and mm-hmm. um, and it's got it's got custom customizable lighting. 
there's some cool stuff. Like it's got like three lighting zones. You can adjust in software. You can make it pulse or have like solid light. Huh. And looks pretty cool. I'm looking for lighting pictures. Oh, the it's ROG on the second symbol. page. Yeah. There's a the logo. There's one in the middle, and there's a, a light at the like the top oh. under the scroll. Yeah, wheel. there's one kind of like within the mm-hmm. scroll wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. So. On Amazon for two of those Omron switches is six dollars and fifty cents primable. All right. Yes. I mean, it was it, not um, as easy to switch on every mouse though. Yeah, yeah some mice are not socketed like that. No, no. Um, I mean most. It was a, I forget which model number it was, but a, a long time ago I had that um, Logitech like wireless laser mouse with the. It came with two batteries and a, a charging base. You yeah. guys remember that one? Yeah. And it would only last like a day or two on the battery because it was a laser mouse, right? But you just, it was easy enough because it had the other battery on the charger and you just kind of like swap it real fast and keep going. And uh, I used that thing until it died. Like, the, just go figure, the left button died, right? And then I took like the, the forward button, the thumb forward button, <laughs> and like I had to open it up and like solder and stuff to like swap out the switches and then i used it for like another about the same amount of time until finally that switch failed again and at that point i was just you know i just got rid of it at that point but it would have been nice to be able to just you know swap out some switches like that especially if it came with a couple of spares it was kind of a cool idea i wish was that the one that had the dock where you actually set it in the dock to charge no it was it had a little like a little pod with a little just slot for the battery all right so Next up, let's talk about uh, high bandwidth memory or HBM architecture and AMD's well, okay, plans. For uh, the you know, it seems like Ryan and Scott get all the really cool things anymore, and I'm just home being yep. sick and taking care of kids. And well, you know, sorry. You know, what my wife says when I put my lip out like that. Um, quit your if whining. You keep doing that, a bird's going to come by and poop on it. Oh. Shoot your eye out, kid. Something like that. Yeah. But anyway, AMD HBM memory. This is what we've been hearing about for a long time. We finally got the uh, the scoop on it. Uh, its stuff looks to be kind of interesting and good. We found out a few things about it that we did not know before. Uh, a lot of things have been confirmed. Namely, it's like a 1,024-bit uh, bus, essentially, in between the graphics chips. There are four graphic, uh, not graphic chips, but the memory chips. There are four stacked on each other in each DRAM. And so each 2.5D interposer right now can handle up to four gigs of RAM. Uh, there's just a whole lot to it. One, you're, you're improving the amount of space because, one, the chips are stacked. They, they have the TSVs the two, through, the, through silicon vias, yep. which are essentially, you know, Copper wires that go all the way through the die and connect one to the other. Uh, they've got the control logic on the bottom. It's kind of a fifth chip. So it's a very efficient way of doing it. And these, these chips only run at 500 megahertz. Just compare that to GDDR5, which is a multiple of that. Uh, it pulls less power. Uh, they're able to do things like improve latency just because it's closer to the actual memory controller without having to go through substrate. PCB, uh, the individual chip controllers and, and FIs, and all the way to the memory, you're cutting out a couple of layers there. 
you're increasing your overall speed because you've got a bus that's four times the width of uh, GDDR5. GDDR5, I believe, runs at 1.5 volts. These are 1.3 volts. So you've got power savings all over the place. So it's a lot more efficient. They're able to crank it up. So, for example, the... Uh, the R9-290X with a 512-bit bus has about 320 gigabytes per second of memory bandwidth. Well, the first version of this one should about double that. In between 500 and 620 gigabytes per second is what, what people are thinking. And you're doing that at lower power. So this is, this is kind of a disruptive technology for graphics. And so far, AMD is going to be the first who... Uh, who are doing this. Now, interposers are not new. I think Altera has been utilizing this uh, in kind of an interesting and effective way. They've got an interposer, and they've got a digital chip on one half and then an analog on the other that connected the two. And they do that because in terms of fabrication technology, it's easier to have one or the other rather than try to combine them both into a single die that is made on a single process. So they're, they're optimizing their production by uh, changing the features of the process technology. Uh, say like, you know, analog, you don't need the really thick oxide, uh, what is it, the oxide walls? I can't remember. Uh, but for, for the digital stuff, ASICs, you, you, you do need the, the thicker oxide. Um, so is this... Um I'm looking at this picture here, and it looks like just one package of regular old DDR or GDDR5 is only 32 bits, like just for one chip, basically one package. Right? Correct. And so this is 1024 bits per package. So in other words, like you're getting that out of each of those four stacks on that GPU picture we saw earlier. I guess. Yeah, right? I think so. I can't remember offhand. I mean, going off, of, going off of that yeah. slide, it looks yeah. like that's the case. But then if you go back yeah, up here... Yeah, I think here, that's, that's correct. Each, each one has, you know, 1,024 yeah. to each, which is a ton. And if you think about why they make the silicon interposers as they do, if you were to do that through a PCB, it's just hair-raisingly hard. Right. But with an interposer, you can do that really easily because essentially they take a piece of silicon, uh, I think... The rumor has it that it's using a 65 nanometer process to actually do the litho, etch, deposition, whatnot. But the individual features on this interposer are not, you know, minimum of 65 nanometers. We're talking about 100 micrometers. So yeah, they're big. It's just wire. Huge. Yeah, they're yeah. essentially really, really, really fine wires. But you do that through, uh, you know, lithography and deposition and etching. And uh, it's a lot more effective, easy, efficient to do it that way. And not only that, but because the features are so large, you could do multiple exposures onto a die and they'll still work because, hey, let's say we're, you know, 20 nanometers off on or, or 50 or 100 nanometers off on, uh, on matching things up. Well, you're still two orders of magnitude bigger yeah. in terms of the wire. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're basically so drawing, can... you're drawing very large features, right? It's like looking at a low-resolution video on a high-resolution display, basically, right? Like it can be a little bit yeah. off, it's, you're still going to be fine, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you're, you're, 
you've got crayons and you're you're trying to color a couple of lines in something the size of Central Park. Yep. So it doesn't matter that you're a little bit off. Yeah. So in other words, you're not that worried about like you know, basically you're gonna get every die off of the wafer pretty much. For yeah, something I mean like the this, defects right. are going to be pretty low. Yeah. I mean you're you're going to have some that just won't work for one reason or the other, and sure. that's that's just life. But the chances of that happening are are pretty pretty low. I think where the problem that they have is is mating all the different parts together. So you've got a substrate that communicates with all the power and ground and data planes. Then you've got the interposer on top of that, and then you've got the individual memory dies, GPU dies, you know, any kind of ASIC die that, that, that is going to be on top of that. And apparently the interposer is incredibly thin. It's like what they, they said when you hold it in, the hand, in, in your hand, it's, it's almost like you know, having a piece of paper okay. of that size. Whether or not it's flexible or somewhat, who knows. And so you've got to, one, make sure that's well-supported. Because if you crank on a heat sink and you've got all those different dies pushing it down, you would think that the potential of, of that thing cracking would be pretty high. So I think where the issue is that, uh, and the potential yield issues is mating all those things together. So you can get that on the substrate pretty easy, but then you've got to get each one of those dies on there that has not just 1,024 micro bumps that are your data lines, but you're also talking power and ground. Yep, so power you ground, could have address lines. Yeah, you can yep. have sixteen thousand plus micro bumps on one of these interposers, and that might even be a low number. Huh. So it's I mean, there's a ton of work going on there, and I think that's probably where you're gonna have the largest point of failure because it's still a new technology. These are very complex parts. Um but it's gonna be kind of disruptive in terms of at least memory technology, whether or not AMD can actually produce a GPU that will be something that people want at the price that will be offered for. Uh, that's, that's, that's a question we're going to have to answer next month when things apparently get released. But right now, you know, AMD wanted to get out the word on, on the uh, HBM, and it, it looks good. On paper, looks great. But they have to implement it effectively, they have to get it out to the people, and uh, we have to see exactly how well it works. But this is the future, at least for graphics and maybe other products down the line, and it will be utilized by many other people other than AMD. In fact, NVIDIA will have an HBM product next year with uh, Pascal, and there are going to be other guys that have non-GPUs that will utilize um, just kind of the the flexible nature of a 2.5D and a, and a stacked or a 3D stacked as well um, type setup. So, I think you could pr- would, you could uh, probably make a pretty mean uh, like Intel mobile integrated GPU on the CPU with the RAM as well, like all in one thing. I bet OEMs wouldn't mind putting that in laptops, right? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I well, I, I probably can't talk about that. Oh, but okay. um, I, I went and referenced a talk. Well, a, a reader sent me a link to a talk that was done in 2012 by one of the guys at AMD. Um, I think his last name is Bleak or Black. My memory, it's it's just shot to hell. But he talked about interposers and how 
we went for a long time where everything is being integrated onto a die. So we had graphics, we had Northbridge, we're, we've got Southbridge, and now we've got these full SOCs. And he said the problem with that is you're slowing down the introduction of these parts because different parts require different things from the process node. Just as I talked about analog versus uh, digital chips, you know, RF chips have a totally different structure in how they work rather than, you know, an ASIC, which will do, you know, computations digitally. The same thing goes for different parts. I mean, memory controller has different options that need going on. The, the I.O. Uh, for the South Bridge, some things are, are you know, kind of totally different there. So he said the key to in the interposer is that you can manufacture each of the chips on a process node or that, that is more appropriate for the type of work. But you can all integrate them on this interposer and have really, really fast performance. So you've got better time to market. You've got less yield issues because you don't have you know one process trying to be the jack of all trades. Instead, you can quickly get out you know a smaller part that is more aimed at at the particular process, and then they can tweak other things in a different process to to do a different part. And so you put all those together, and they work fine on the interposer. So that obviously is a discussion that's going well past AMD HBM, but. And, and Intel's the, been doing that with the since the Haswell U part with the chipset. Yeah. Not with an interposer. It's uh, similar, but it's not an interposer. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. interposers get a lot faster than yeah. than what we have seen with um, you know Haswell. It's, like, it's like it's like a shrunken PCB. Yeah. Well, it's it's you know it's a it's a PCB that you're making with lithography. Basically. Yeah, with with silicon, and yeah. it's going to have. Some features in there. Uh, the first generation HBM is going to be essentially just wires. Uh, you're not going to see things like you know active transistors, capacitors, whatnot on the HP on the uh, interposer. But those are things that probably will be integrated in the future to allow even more flexibility and more interesting things that you can do with signals. So with that, uh, HBM is an interesting technology. We're going to see it this summer. And uh, we hope that it turns out to be all it is cracked up to all be. Right, cool. Next up, Super Micro Super Chessie S5 Mid Tower Enclosure. Take it away, Sebastian. Hey, remember those motherboards we looked at? Well, it was one a week ago and one more recently. Yes. They're getting into this enthusiast market, but the parts look really dated. The front panel of this case looks really nice, I think. That's it's true. It's got some good contrast. It's actually brushed aluminum. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. it's. But then everything behind that is basically your most average thin steel ATX case. Okay, so you mean the sides of... So you're talking about just the front panel is brushed aluminum. And then Correct. the sides, the top, the bottom, the back, that's just all steel. Yes. Okay. And very thin steel. All right. So there, it 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 pretty much is your your average ATX. Like I was saying, there is some interesting modular drive bays inside. Yes, yeah. kind of similar to the Fractal Design R5, in that you've got three removable drive cages. But 
The front panel does look very interesting. It's got the weird yeah. funky vents like inset on the side and the left side there and Yeah, it's like a plastic inset and then there are brushed aluminum pieces yeah. at the top and in the front. Yeah, it's kind of got some Tron style like outlining on it and stuff. Yeah, I yeah. guess. It's cool. So the look the look from the front I I liked. Yep. And it looks a little bit lighter in person. When the light hits it, it almost looks light gray or silver. Mm-hmm. But Unfortunately, when I started taking it apart, when I was taking pictures and getting ready for the build, you can kind of see in that picture right there, the drive cages are all kind of bowing in a little bit. Oh, None yeah. of them are square. Huh. So when I took them out, I actually had to bend them back into square. All right. Before I started sliding the little toolless trays in and out. But that part is really nice. Every single drive, and there are six hard drives and four SSDs supported at the same time, has its own completely toolless plastic tray. So you pop them on the sides of the drives and just slide them in. It's really easy to install. Yeah. And then behind each drive is a nice little like opening that's the perfect size for power and data. So the drive installation and, and swaps was was very painless. So that was well designed. All right. And the fans that come with it, there's two in the front, one in the back. They're pretty quiet, 120-millimeter fans. Nothing too special, but they actually created quite a bit of airflow. And in the, f- you can see the completed build there. I unfortunately could not put all the drive bays back in because I installed my Lightning MSI card back in there. Uh-huh. And it's so big. Because it's stupid big. Yeah. Look at how thick that is. I thought, break. oh, well, it's, this is fine because I'll just put the top uh, cage back in, but unfortunately the back plate on the lightning card was too tall and I could not get the tray back in on the top either. Now th- this is kind of an abnormally long video card though, right? It is. It's abnormally long and thick. Okay. <laughs> mm, it's got both. It does have both. So It's I kind mean, of the yeah. total package. Plus it comes with a drawer. I don't know if you've seen the packaging for the lightning. Yeah, you <laughs> know the drawer. The R9290X lightning from MSI features a small piece of cardboard furniture inside the box <laughs> with an actual drawer to store uh, things in. So uh, I'm, I'm way off track here, but back to the does case. Does it only which, fit ATX motherboards? No, it, it had uh, spots for micro ATX as well. I use micro ATX. In there, just in, so I tiny. believe ITX is supported, but I did not try it. And okay. the same old deal with the stretchy uh, EPS 12 volt. Yeah, that and oh, yeah. that. I'm getting to the point where I have to buy an extension. Ryan brought it up last week. Yep. With the uh, Define S, these case designs and the way that the motherboard power that 12 volt is at the very top corner. I'm having trouble connecting any of the power supply cables I have right now. I, I don't think, have any I think, extensions. So. I think the power supply maker should just make that cable like another six inches longer. I mean, that's really, yeah. the, you know. And that's the longest one I have. The other ones I have are like two inches shorter. Yeah. So that was a, literally a stretch to get it in. But everything <laughs> went together just fine. And when I did temperature testing on it, it did extremely well. It did better than the two uh, fractal design cases I've tested recently with these components. But those are, you know, insulated cases that hold a little bit more heat. This thing is very thin, and the side is vented as well. So noise levels are higher, which is to be expected. They weren't too bad, though. 
So overall, the performance of this case was good. What I did not like was the overall build quality, which I thought was low. Yeah. And then I was, I was going to make a final judgment based on the price, and the only price I can find for it is $95. All right. Which is high. Yeah. So, not ridiculous, but a bit high compared to what some of the other ones you've been looking at recently have been, which were not quite 50 bucks, but in the neighborhood. Yeah, you go to you yeah. go down to like a Fractal Core 3300, which is an ATX case similar to this, and it doesn't look quite as nice from the front, but it's only about a $50 case. It's real weird that the drive cages were bent like that. I can't even imagine how in shipping they would bend since they're inside of a case that's inside of a box, and I mean... I don't know. As long as they could be bent back straight, I guess it's okay, but it just seems kind of odd, like an odd thing to be wrong with it. Yeah, they were very easy to bend. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's why. Maybe that's why yeah. they bent, I guess. All right, so uh, let's rip through some news items here. First up, piece by Ryan, of course, since he's gone. He has all the good stuff up for us to talk about in his absence. NVIDIA under attack again for Gameworks, this time in The Witcher 3, Wild Hunt. All right. Good Lord, do we have enough time for the 250 comments? Uh, yeah, no. Well, no, I mean, all I recommend is for the best example you want, Herbal Essence's long-term relationship conditioner. Oh. It will make the hair flow much better than any other processor on the planet. Wait, wait, wait. We're not on Picks of the Week yet. Oh, no, I'm talking about GameWorks. I know. And specifically Hairworks. Interesting that that bottle is red. It's right. ironic. It's ironic. <laughs> Uh, so basically... Uh, Only in a Canadian singer kind of way. Right. Yeah. Basically, the developers that were working on Witcher 3 um, were getting some flack because apparently they're using Hairworks, and Hairworks is obviously more efficient on the company's products for which Hairworks came from. I guess that's the easiest way to say it, right? I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like, of course, it you know, crashes your NVIDIA card, too, so, you know, th- at least they got that part equalized. Oh. Alright. Well, I didn't know about that part, but... Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know what to say about this on either side, right? Like, you have AMD guys saying, oh, everything should be open, and these guys should be doing this, but it's like, yeah, I mean, the guys that their product doesn't do as well on this game, of course, those guys are going to be like, yeah, we want this more open. We, we, we want to know how to make this our thing, you know, do Well, there's a, there's a couple of sides to it, and I certainly understand. I mean, certainly AMD wants things to be open because, one, they didn't develop it, and two, they want games to play nicely that, that utilize the technology, and their cards can play nicely. NVIDIA, on the other hand, they developed the technology... They paid their guys and their engineers, and they would like to get something back. And they also want to have a checkbox on their product that says, hey, this differentiates us from the competition. Uh, What's kind of interesting about Hairworks is that it is based on DX11 tessellation. So, uh, and it was funny, I was kind of thinking about this the other day, but I never really did anything about it, and I didn't explore it, but somebody else did is that when you enable Hairworks, and because it is based on DX11 tessellation, you can go into the AMD control panel and uh, create a profile for The Witcher 3, and then you go down to the tessellation setting where you can control how much, uh, what level of tessellation you apply. Yeah. So apparently at, at base, 
is something like 32x tessellation uh, that NVIDIA does. Or I'm just you know throwing out a rounded number. And it makes it look nice, but it runs like crap on AMD cards because AMD just, they do not have the tessellation horsepower that NVIDIA has been pushing for the last couple of years with their products. Right. So when you lower that factor down to about 4x or 8x, you get most of the effect and the quality, but you get a far less uh, performance, performance hit. Yeah. In fact, the performance hit is pretty minimal as compared to even what you get on NVIDIA cards with their just basic generic setting of hair works on and off in The Witcher. So uh, those who have AMD cards and want to see hair works, that's a fix that you can use for the time being. But NVIDIA is not going to open up hair works and game works. Uh, it's going to be in a black box, and that's going to be that way for as long as they want to do it because – hey, they want to monetize their product. They want to add value to their graphics cards, and software support is certainly yep. one of these ways. And bring you the bosses with the best hair on the planet. <laughs> it, it, yes. almost, it almost sounds like the issue isn't so much hair works, it's just tessellation performance on yes. NVIDIA versus AMD, right? Well, I think there's more to it than that, but I, I think it, it basically just boils down to tessellation performance. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that. And there's a whole bunch of comments if you want some reading to put you to sleep tonight. Just go to that article and try to make your way through all the comments. Uh, next up, Corsair 128 gigabyte RAM. Holy crap. That's kids. a couple of gigabytes. Yeah, that's just a few gigabytes. Uh, For just is, a few dollars. That is not a small number. Um DDR4, 128 gig memory kits for the rich and famous. How much do these things cost? Oh, lovely. Like uh, around $2,000. All right. If you want the Dominator Platinum, just over. Well, it looks like you have to have an eight-slot board. Yeah, and just quickly looking at it, the EVGA X99 Classified, uh, Ace Rocks X99 Extreme 4, Mm -hmm. one of the other extremes, and the Asus X99E WS were the three that I found immediately. I'm sure there's a couple of others. Um, I didn't particularly want to spend an hour looking through yeah. motherboards, but even with enough slots, most of them are capped out at 64. This may be addressed in a new UEFI, but for now, unless you're buying it for, you're splitting it with a friend so you can both have them. I <laughs> guess. Because there are eight 16 gig modules, so you yeah, can put yeah. four in one and four in the other. If you've got a friend that's going to give you 1100 bucks to split on RAM. Yeah, I mean, is that how much the 64 gig kits cost? Really? No. The, the 2666 ones approach that. Uh, th- this is a bit of a marketing thing, too. And plus, I mean, it, I'm sure it's been tested to actually be compatible, and it's got some pretty decent timings compared to a lot of the DD4 you see. Okay, so it's just more aggressive timings. Because it almost makes me wonder if you could just buy, you know, buy two 64 gig you know, for for less than that, yes, yeah, yes, you could find that instead of buying this kit of eight. Ken's looking at me funny. It's math, Ken. It's, it's four times. Do they sell four by sixteen kits? Uh, yeah, I think so. That's oh, how you God, get. Yeah, that's sure. how you get sixty-four kits. Nah. You don't uh, think thirty-two plus thirty-two. Because it is quad channel, right? 
Yeah, yep. just yeah, but motherboards have eight slots, so that's how you get 64 gigabytes. Well, I think 16 gigabyte DIMMs are very rare, including No, they're this. not. Really? They're not that rare anymore. No, not no. on DDR4. Well, you pay out the nose, but they're not rare. I'm yeah. talking out my butt. Just ignore me. They're very rare DDR3. Right? Because... Yeah, yeah. Like DDR4, uh, Crucial 2133, 692. And, and that's 4x16. Uh, right. so, uh, yeah, really expensive, and probably nobody listening to this is going to put $2,000 of RAM into their system. Well, there may hey, be if you're going to buy a $1,200 PCIe SSD, why the hell not? Because that's still half as much as that. <laughs> just and that's like 1.2 terabytes you can have a heck of a ram drive though i'll give you that like what are you booting your os off of ram 64 gigs to the ram drive and 64 gigs of ram yeah i don't i don't know about i don't know if there's any pre-boot with uafi you could probably pull it off with something but uh yeah that'd be very interesting okay you know you fire up your computer it copies 64 gig from the uh SSD over into RAM, and then boots. So it takes longer to boot? It would take longer to boot, yeah. We keep getting that question, like, hey, how long does that SSD 750 take to boot? How often are you booting? Like, seriously. Once a day? Yeah, some people do once a day. Okay, and if you do it once a day, say it takes five more seconds because your UEFI BIOS is not performance tuned to do super fast boot off of a NVMe device. That's like 1,500 seconds a year. Do you know what you can do in 1,500 seconds in a year? Josh, don't answer that. Okay. Okay. All right. Next up. Asus announces the Zenfone 2. And do you know how much it's priced? Uh, I don't know, but I know Sebastian's probably got one somewhere. I do. But I think Josh can tell us how much it costs. How much? One ninety nine. And the higher end version is two ninety nine. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh yes. Johnny She. I wonder if this is we were talking about this the other day. Like maybe that gag has like now it's just the thing that Josh does. It's not the thing from the press conference. It's just the thing that Josh says every time he says a press. I just thought it was something no. Josh said. No, 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 no. It's Johnny no. Shee. Johnny Shee does it every year. <laughs> that, that In is fact, easy. now he does it multiple times a year. Yeah. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Multiple times per press conference. Pretty much. Yeah. Probably you wouldn't want to do a drinking game the last press conference with it. No. No. You would be out. Anyway. Uh, so, Zenfone 2. Sebastian, tell us about this phone. It's a five and a half inch phone. So it's the same as an iPhone uh, 6 Plus or the like the OnePlus One. A bunch of screens are now, or a bunch of phones are using that uh, five and a half inch IPS panel. So it's the Quad HD. It's twenty five sixty by fourteen forty. It has a quad core Intel Atom processor. So I'm interested to see what the battery life and performance are out of that. And it also has it has a really nice design. It won one of those IDF Design Awards. It's a contoured design. The uh, I thought it was interesting that the case that they shipped with it actually is a replacement back. So instead of just one of those folio sort of covers like a lot of the Samsung, like the Notes have and the LG, like the G3, G4, 
you actually peel the back off of this thing and put it on so it's NFC compatible and it becomes the new case of the phone that includes a cover. So that was cool. Huh. It has a has a premium feel to it that you would not expect to get for two hundred bucks. Like last fall, I bought a Moto G, the two thousand fourteen version, and used it in between phones when I was waiting for the Nexus Six to come out. And that this is a completely different world than the one hundred and seventy nine dollar Moto G for fit and finish, and the display quality is phenomenal. So it, I'm very impressed with it so far. And it, so far, also, the, the, I have not noticed any kind of lagging performance or anything with the uh, Atom processor. It seems very well tuned. I know that there's been some optimization for that SOC in this phone. It seems to respond very quickly to the touch. It has the best scrolling in Chrome that I've ever used in an Android phone so far. Huh. And it, it doesn't hurt that it has 4 gigs of RAM. So it's just it's like swimming in extra memory all the time. And the user interface that Asus has added to this doesn't really seem to hamper anything. It's it's just kind of there. It adds a few kind of cool things. And since it comes with a folio case, or it's an optional accessory. This one came with it. But when that is in place, it does this the thing where like the window on the front of the case changes the display when the folio is closed. So it gives you like a little clock and it gives you a, you know, like your quick indicators of a new message, new email, that kind of thing. So it it is very nice and I would, you would not hesitate to believe that this costs like four or five hundred bucks off contract looking at now it. Now what, what SOC is it using again? I would have to look it up. It is a oh. Adam Quad. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, it's an Adam 2560 or 2580. 3580. Or sorry, 3560 or 3580, yeah. The other thing I want to see is how well their quick charge works. Obviously, it's not a Qualcomm chip, so it's not using quick charge 2.0. But they're using their own proprietary, or I don't know if it's an Intel solution or what it is. But they have their own quick charger in the box. So I will have to see how that works, like side-by-side with the Nexus 6. has a decent-sized battery. Everything about it uh, on paper was very impressive when I wrote the news post so we'll see how it performs in daily use yeah I'm thinking that extra 2 gig of RAM is probably that, that alone might be a reason that for Chrome to do something like scroll smoother because it just has more memory to you know draw ahead because goodness knows Chrome doesn't eat memory like yeah. <laughs> vanilla wafers in a kindergarten class so it, it was seriously scrolling as smoothly up and down pages as an iPhone using Safari Huh. Except it wasn't. Uh, it wouldn't resolve uh, render transitions as well. Like if you cha- if you zoomed out and then back in, you could kind of see a little bit of a lag while it resized image elements and put kind of put them back into place over yeah. the text. Yeah. There was a momentary pause with that kind of stuff. I was I was forcing it though. I was like zooming out, zooming in, zooming out, but just scrolling up and down as fast as I could in in Chrome, like with our page loaded, which is a long front page with a lot of images on it. Still, just buttery smooth all the way up and down. So they only need to quadruple the RAM to match yeah. the iPhone. Yeah, they only have to quadruple the RAM. Yeah. All right. Hey, would you run a PC with less than 4 gigs of RAM? No. Absolutely. Would you download Neither a should car? should you run a phone. <laughs> phone phones, phones like this coming out at insanely low prices is kind of making me wonder what Apple's going to have to do at some point. Like, they're just well, not going to be able to launch at, phones at the insane prices. Look at prices. the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. They are running those phones with 1 gigabyte 
of memory. Yeah. Well, so you know, they this are is so you highly have, optimized like, to, to the hardware that it doesn't even matter. Well, that's true. It's, I'm talking about pricing, though, right? Like, they're charging a lot compared to what Android phones have been coming down to with equivalent hardware or better hardware, right? And yeah. people still I, line up. I don't know if they care. I don't know I, if they care they either. Well, the conventional model is still to buy on contract, so it doesn't really matter. But as, as people shift more towards being off contract, which I think a lot of people are, yeah. And postpaid plans are actually giving you good coverage and 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 better uh, data speeds and you know T-Mobile's acquisition of uh, Metro PCS a while back. There are certain markets where you get just fantastic LTE coverage, and so there there is a lot of of desire for a good premium quality smartphone that you can put any SIM into, and this is a dual SIM phone too. So. Um, it's I'm amazing not really finally, sure. I've never used one, but it's amazing to finally see one of these Asus phones come out in America. An Asus Intel phone shipping mm. in America. You can buy it on Amazon and Newegg. That's yeah. true. You can just buy it. Yeah, for one ninety nine. Yeah, that is still that is really cheap. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and even even the one ninety nine phone still has the same screen. I believe. I believe they're both using oh, yeah. 1080p. Yeah, I think they're the same screen. It is a nice looking screen. All right, uh, next up, looks like Oculus Rift is getting one step closer to being a thing, like an actual thing and not like a beta thing that you have to get developer kits for. Uh, full Rift experience specifications released. So uh, Scott Michaud wrote this up for us, and let's see what the specifications are. So this is basically the system you're going to need to have or recommended to have to use an Oculus Rift at... You know, like the, uh, what would you call it? The best experience or the, you know. The least nauseating experience? Uh, I, I guess you can call it that. Um, so, uh, GeForce 970 or an AM, uh, Radeon R9 290 or higher, of course. Uh, pretty much everything is or higher in this list. Intel uh, Core i5 4590, uh, 8 gig of RAM, HDMI 1.3. So, you know, whatever your GPU is, hopefully it supports that. Uh, you have to have two USB 3 ports and uh, Windows 7 or, or better. Windows 7 SP1 or better. Um, so there's the specs, right? This is kind of be like the side, the side of the box specs. If you were to buy one of these at a store, now the question is, is, is when's the thing coming out? 2016. Know? Yeah, Q1 2016. Q1? Yep. Yeah. Taking pre-orders by Christmas because everyone pre-orders everything now. We should fire up our... Uh... Hey, you know, I, I pre-ordered Dirt Rally, <laughs> and they delivered a good chunk to me right off the bat. That's a little more difficult with hardware. Yeah, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. They deliver like three-quarters of it and yeah, a Yeah, but, you know, iron. I didn't pre-order yeah. Assassin's Creed Five or whatever the hell it's called, Syndicate. Yeah. Weird, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, um, you know, seems pretty cool. Uh, we were playing around with, we have both of them. Yeah. We have the newer one. I played around with the newer one. Seems cool. I think there needs to be more stuff for it. Yeah. That's the thing, right? I mean, there were some cool demos. Didn't make me nauseous, except for the thing that was supposed to make me nauseous. Hmm. Uh, I forget the name of that demo, but man, that thing really screwed me. Roller coaster vomit comment. 
No, this thing was like a seat, a seat that was on like an arm, and the arm was on like Oh, a, yeah, that thing. Um, oh, God. It was basically like just one Do you cord. know how badly you could screw with people with viewports on that? <laughs> I mean, just think uh, yeah. about, you know, a lazy eye. It's like, oh, your, your right eye went decided to do lazy, and you're just... Yeah. What if you just painting your like, screens? You, you you film stereo footage, but just like turn one camera ninety degrees. So here, deal Whoa. with it. <laughs> <laughs> and then your left brain goes, seat. "Say what?" <laughs> uh, one eye is about five milliseconds out of sync. Oh, no, not, oh that would not really quite enough that for you to notice consciously, but just enough for your mind to. Yeah, boy. Either way, I'm 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 just with this. I'm looking forward for the thing to come out. If anything, so that more software supports it and like better demos and stuff come out for it and things like that to the point where, you know, it's a chicken and the egg problem, right? You're not going to have a bunch of people developing software for it, even though there is like, uh, I think Elite supports it, right? Yeah. I uh, think so. A few games that have come out, like space games typically support it. Um, but again, it's not supported for the final product because, well, you don't have the final product yet. Anyway. Uh, oh. I guess this is the part of the podcast every month where Jeremy talks about Raptor. Yeah, because I'm such a fan of every single game listed on these things. (laughs) (laughs) What we learned was that people who play LOL don't play GTA. Okay. Because GTA appeared up with a significant chunk of of, uh, what people are playing on Raptor, almost taking over CSGO. League of Legends didn't move one bit. Nope. Didn't even flinch. Nope. Surprisingly, Star Wars The Old Republic still has a little bit of market share. Spider Solitaire is apparently (laughs) gaining huge popularity. (laughs) I saw that and I just started laughing. I got some odd looks, but uh, there you go. And apart from that, you know, Battlefield 4 is probably still bleeding to uh, that other Battlefield game that just came out recently. Apparently, Scott is appreciating in real life right now, down in the States. So apart from that, hey, uh, this is what a huge amount of gamers are playing. You may not play these games. I know I don't, but you have to respect that this is a good part of our market. This is why computers are sold, because a lot of people play these games. And uh, So go out there and make sure when you're downloading your GTA mods, you you pick the safe ones, because there's a lot of malware out there. You don't want an infected whale. All right. Speak for yourself. Wow. Well. Huh. Next up, actually, the last news story we're going to talk about: uh, Nvidia Shield and Shield Pro show up on Amazon. Oh wait, they were on Amazon for a few seconds, and and then and then they weren't on Amazon. But I guess they're coming soon. That's probably a pretty safe indication. Yeah. I I totally forgot that they were just using the shield name when I first saw this headline. What do you mean? For the set top box, they're just using the shield name, like they, yep. they, yeah, they had the shield. Wondering. Hey, they got the tablet, right? Yep. Yeah. No. And then now it's just the shield. Shield. I don't know why it's Shield Pro when the other the only thing is more storage, but you know, I'm sure. It won't uh, I don't know. But now we know what the boxes look like. Pretty. Pretty skinny thing there. Skinny. Yeah. That box style is, uh, we had gotten some samples from NVIDIA that came in like kind of snazzy looking boxes and we kept like telling them, hey, 
these boxes look awesome. Like you should probably ship products in these. And I guess I think the original Shield Portable shipped in a box, kind of like that, if I remember correctly. Well, there was one that came with like the controller and everything else, and yeah. it was like a kit. And the box was amazing, and that was like apparently not ever a thing like retail. Hmm. So I was like, "Come on, guys, that looks so cool. You should, you should do this." And I guess uh, maybe they listened to Ryan. All right. So hopefully it's coming soon. We've talked about it a lot in the past, so no need no need to really rehash it all. But it's basically just set top box that can stream games from your PC or play them as long as they're. Uh, you know, within the capacity of that hardware. There are some that actually stream 1080p 60 too, right? Yes. Yep. They updated that last week. Yep. If you're, uh, if you have a high enough, uh, speed router and high enough. Yeah, it was like 50 down and 5 up, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it was pretty healthy download throughput that they wanted. So, like, wireless B, would that work? No, A. Totally. (laughs) Wait, wasn't A should hook an Oculus me? Rift up to <clears throat> it as well. Yes. All right. Uh, well, that's it for the news. Uh, I guess next up we'll uh, go through our hardware software picks of the week. Ryan doesn't have a pick because he's somewhere where he doesn't even have enough cell phone reception to watch this podcast. Or listen to it. Thank God. It's thank, been such a travesty. Thank goodness. <laughs> Maybe I could stay employed now. <laughs> we I just, can't. We'll I'm just done. make sure, like, when when he comes into the office, when he gets back, and he, like, fires up the, like, well, Ken and I are just, we all, our backs are all, like, facing each other. Like, we all face outward from kind of like a triangle in the office here. And Ryan's going to turn on the podcast and start playing it, and then Ken and I are just going to, like, go to lunch. <laughs> When that oh, pull the uh, not working. Do you, do you hear the ice cream truck outside, Ken? Yes. yes. Let's go. Yeah, ice cream. I'll just like, we'll play something on Alexa that sounds like a, like a DS, a DSP'd, you know, room echoey version of the ice cream truck sound. So it seems like it's coming from outside. We can actually do that. Like we're, anyway. So yeah, he's uh he's probably regretting the the purchase of the place where he is that has no internet right now he'll just bring back the the thousand foot spool of ethernet and make it happen that's, that's what he's gonna do yeah, he's gonna go <laughs> steal it from the neighbors and have it uh be run over by the lawnmower again just find the nearest access point unplug it plug in hard line and just run it he'll do it all right so uh i guess we'll go straight to jeremy what you got uh us Canadians don't often get the deals that you boys do south of the border, but uh, Newegg is actually running a 500 gig Crucial MX200 for 200 bucks. Sweet. Not a damn bad price for up here, and it's actually this is off of a Shell Shocker. Uh, the Shell Shocker is about 230ish, so this is additional savings on top of it, which I just recommend you grab. Uh, if you can. If this isn't your favorite Crucial drive, the Canadian version of uh, Amazon also happens to be... Oh, crap. They screwed up the link again, didn't they? Yeah, probably. So, I'm sorry. It's about 235 I will fix that in post. But, uh, as well, Amazon is also putting all of their Crucial drives. So, if you, for whatever reason, don't particularly like the MX... The uh, BX would run you about 
$220 Canadian for a 500 gig version. You're talking about the BX100. Yeah, the BX100. Yep. Uh, you can also get the MSATA version if you prefer. So right now, uh, some actual pretty good deals on crucial drives. Yeah. Grab them quick. Yep, and those are, you know, they're pretty good, pretty good performing drives. Um, we've looked at them. We haven't written up a review on MX200 series yet, but the performance was, you know, it was a pretty good performing drive. How does it compare as compared to the 840 Evo? The 840 Evo? Yeah, 840 Evo crap. Well, okay, so... Um, Still angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try having a vanilla 840 that's never been fixed. That's true. Yeah. Josh, have you updated the firmware on your 840 Evo? You know, I, I've tried several times and it's failed. Really? Yeah. Through Windows? Through Windows. Try the ISO? Eh, not yet. Just, just... Gotta you, back things up first. Oh. Well, it's, it's supposed to not be destructive. You should always have a backup, Josh. I should always have a backup. I, I have used the ISO to update five samples, and it did not destroy any data. Now, that doesn't mean that it won't destroy yours. <laughs> because you have a limited sample size. Uh, yes. Nah. I do not have the sample size of everybody's SSD. Otherwise, you wouldn't have this problem. Uh, okay, so done with that guy. Next up is actually, yes, Josh. Yeah, me. Uh, yeah, so, you. you know, somebody came up with a kind of interesting little uh, thing. Uh, so we've got all the uh, the NFC thing on the back of most cell phones. This is called Dimple I.O. One of the readers showed this out to me, and it looks like a kind of interesting idea. If you have, like, four applications that you constantly use on your cell phone instead of just doing this and finding it and push it, you have, like, you know this little thing that you put on the back, you have NFC activated, you program it in, say button one does camera, button two does contacts, button three does phone, whatever you want to do, you can program it to do that. I mean, it doesn't matter what screen you're on on your phone, you click the button, it automatically then loads that application. So there's only four buttons on there, but that's still kind of handy for those who would use such an application. And it's inexpensive. So that's kind of cool too. Have you got your hands on one yet? What? You got your hands on one yet? No. No. I'm just curious to know like how fast the response would be. I I saw like a YouTube review of it. It's fast. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's it's exactly, looks like exactly what you'd want. Okay. And if they ever add NFC to the iPhone, then it should work. Well, like it's <laughs> there. API to NFC. It's there, but yeah, you can't do anything with it, you know, since the mighty the mighty Apple has to have the control of all of the things. Of course. All right. Uh next up is me. So, uh TFT Central has this awesome ICC profile and monitor settings database. So basically, uh chances are they've reviewed the monitor you're using. Uh, and if you don't have all that expensive color calibration gear, and if you want to kind of bank on the possibility that, you know, a given display with the factory settings calibrated to a certain profile, like if one person calibrated their monitor and then they shared the profile and the settings with you, it'll probably get you close, right? I mean, like, displays, you know, manufacturing run, they have their default settings. If you do, like... You know, the, the calibrated settings, chances are they're not going to vary that much from panel to panel, really. I mean, they're going to vary a little bit, but you could probably get it pretty close just by using those settings. So uh, TFT Central has kind of put all this stuff together 
in this database, and you know, there's everything. Database is just... because database is where you go home to dad at. Oh, okay. Um, so basically, you can look up your display. Uh, the link on the left just links you to a download of the ICC profile file itself, right? And then, uh, you know, they have, like, if there are settings on the display that you have to also adjust, right? Because the ICC profile can't kind of reach across your video card and make, you know, change your red, green, blue, and contrast and brightness and other settings on your display on, on the actual LCD. So they give you their, you know, what they set it to when they did the calibration. And then they also have, um, what I thought was interesting is there's kind of a few hoops you have to jump through. Uh, if you just go into Windows to where you think the color profile would be loaded and you just, like, load it and choose the file and put it in there, that is not enough. And uh, it's actually something I didn't even know about because I had tried importing ICC profiles in the past and they never seemed to do anything for me. And I actually figured out why. And they, like, on, on this, off of this page, there's a link to a little kind of walkthrough and you have to apply the profile in like two different places and specifically tell Windows, yes, like I want you to turn this profile on and use it. And then when you do that, then you see everything change on the display. So that's kind of the, the hoops you have to jump through if you're not using color calibration software. Because that software would usually do everything for you, but you're not necessarily going to have that software unless you have the hardware to go with it and spent, you know, several hundred dollars on that kit. So, um... Yeah, definitely uh, check that out. If if you, at a minimum, if you've like if you're sitting at a panel and you have not calibrated it, it it's a worth at least looking, seeing if it's in that list. If it is, grab the profile, go through their steps to, you know, enable it, and just see if uh, you know see if your display looks better. Did for me. Uh, next. Not only am I a owner, but I'm a client. You're also a client, uh, Sebastian. What you got? Uh, Aki, I think it's how it's pronounced. There's a company that sells through Amazon. They have a whole bunch of Quick Charge 2.0 compatible stuff, including this, which is a 10,000 milliamp hour portable battery, uh, basically a Quick Charge battery. It can be Quick Charged itself. Uh, It does not come with a, a wall uh, charger, you have to supply your own. But if you already have a quick charge compatible phone, it'll have one. So I used my Nexus 6 quick charge 2.0 charger to charge this, and then it can charge my phone more than two times. It's like two and a half times it'll charge the Nexus before it needs to be recharged. But it has a huge capacity, and it looks like a giant iPod mini from about eight years ago. <laughs> Actually, it does. Yeah, it's got the extruded aluminum shell. Yep, with the and guts. it's the, the white on the top and the yep, bottom yep. that are flat. So and, it's, 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 and it's pretty hefty too. Like it's, it's, it's big, but it's got a huge battery in it. So it works exactly as advertised. It disappeared from Amazon for a while. I wanted to pick it a while back, but it just wasn't available. And it mysteriously showed back up and I tried contacting the company and they never responded to me. So, I don't know what that was all about, but I know Ryan bought one of these. I have one. Buy it Thirty bucks. Yeah, buy one. Ken has one. Yeah, they're thirty bucks. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, and I like the fact that you know because it takes a while to charge ten amp hours. Like the number's so high, they might as well just get rid of the milla 
at this point. It was right? dead this morning. I plugged it in in the kitchen. I went down to the basement for something. I forgot about it. Like an hour and a half later, two hours tops, I went back and it was fully charged. Yeah, you, you definitely need to be able to charge a battery this large with, uh, with the, you know, the actual fast charge twelve volt spec. Right. Even if you don't have a phone that can take advantage of quick charge yet, having it just so you can charge the battery quickly would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, because a lot of like for the longest time. You know, they were coming out with these batteries that are like four amp hours, five, six amp hours, and like they only, you can only charge them. Like I had one uh, from Mophie that was like a 2000 milliamp hour or something like that. Maybe, no, it was like 3000. And it only charged at like not even the USB 3 rate. It charged. Oh, at, almost like the wireless charging rate. It, it, was the, it was the 500 milliamp rate. Like the yeah, the USB, USB 2.0 charging rate. Yeah. Yeah, so I was plugging it into like two amp capable chargers, and it wasn't, it wasn't even using it. It's still taking like six hours to charge. It was hey, but even it'll even charge your iPhone faster, you know, Alan, because it's uh, iPhones will charge faster if they're using like the iPad power brick. Yeah, and it, my wife's phone was charging faster with this and my Motorola Quick Charge battery pack thing. Yeah, that yeah. I have because so. they able to charge at two amps. Yeah, uh, five volts. Yeah, cool. All right, well, I guess uh, that wraps it up. Uh, for another reminder, you can find this and other podcasts at pcpro.com slash podcast. You can subscribe to our nifty mailing list thing. We were uh, we were pimping at the beginning of the podcast at uh, pcpro.com slash subscribe. You go to pcpro.com slash live is the page that hopefully works where you can uh, get to our podcast and live stream and we have a, a chat down there and all sorts of cool stuff for you to do and don't forget to check out the contest which is uh, actually we don't have a short link to it but the link will be in the show notes for this podcast near the beginning uh and uh subscribe to us on twitter twitter.com slash pcper or slash ryan shroud if you want to tweet the boss about something a gripe. doesn't want to tweet the boss. A gripe, a complaint. <laughs> Send all complaints to... All complaints. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we, we were talking in the office the other day and... Uh, Dear Ryan, you're so biased. Yeah, yeah. Love yeah. whoever. Ken, Ken was asking uh, where our HR department was, and uh, I pointed to Ryan. So, that's where it is. All right, so uh, that's it. I'm Alan Malmontano. I'm Jeremy Holstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Sebastian Peak, and you can visit joshtech.com for more. Oh, God, that's with two Ks. Yes, highly recommended. You know, I, I, Josh, I have to plug the site because, as you can see from my lower third, I work for Josh Tech. Yes. I'm Which the new is creative wholly director. A subsidiary of Ryan Shrout Industries. Yeah. I, I, is that. Maybe the maybe my checks are getting held up because of that. I have I'm waiting for my Josh Tech money and it hasn't yeah, shown up yet. That's what it is. Yeah, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a small piggy bank. I'm collecting change in. Once I get pull, I'll go ahead and send that to you. Yeah. I'm backlogged several months, Josh. Just so you know, it's and a really want, big. Piggy I don't want to get one of those lump sums where it's charged like I get like forty percent taxes. Yeah, you are the one percent. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Good night. Good night.